When I was a kid, my brother and sister and I typically had to squeeze into the back seat of the Chevy station wagon everywhere that we went. And because I was the youngest, I was always stuck in the middle of the back seat, which is why I never could win the Christmas decorations counting contest that we always had when we were in the car. I couldn't see out the window as well as everybody else. I didn't have a window seat, so it was always harder for me. You know how it works. By Thanksgiving, the Christmas lights would start to show up. Now, now it's after 4th of July, but then it was after Thanksgiving, and all these lights would start to show up. And we would count to ourselves, uh, you know, how many that we saw. A tree in the window counted, lights on the roof, a nativity scene in the yard, even a green porch light, which then had nothing to do with disease and death, uh, counted as a Christmas decoration. Then when we got home, we would all say how many we had. And it was based on the honor system, though somebody would invariably say at the beginning of the game, I'm last to tell, which kind of makes the whole honor system a little fishy. But anyway, that was the way the contest worked. I mean, I'm telling you, there was just something magical about seeing those lights start to pop up in late November. Even when our kids were little, after the Christmas Eve service, you know, the candlelight service that we'd have every year, we would just drive around town and look at Christmas lights. There was a house up in Columbus, Indiana. They went crazy with Christmas decorations in the yard. I mean, there was nothing subtle about it, really nothing that tasteful about it. They just had a fenced-in yard, and they put as many outdoor decorations as you could cram in from, you know, yard to roof. And people from all over town would come and just drive past this house because it was just kind of outrageous. On Christmas Eve, Santa would be out in the yard. He'd be giving out candy canes as if he had time on Christmas Eve to be there giving out candy canes. But anyway, that was the way that it worked. I remember one year, the people who lived in the house next door down uh, actually put a sign in their yard, a, a lit sign that said, Ditto, with an arrow. And that was all they had in their yard pointing to the one next door. Do you remember, are you old enough to remember when it kind of went from colored lights to white lights? And I thought it was blasphemy. You know, it's like surely there's something in the Bible that says you have to have colored lights on your Christmas tree and in your yard, except now we've gone to the dark side because we just have white lights on our tree. But anyway, Christmas lights are kind of a big part of holiday tradition, right? When you think Christmas, we just tend to think about light. Isaac read a verse to us earlier from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus, and he, he was sent by God to the southern part of Israel, where Jerusalem was, the area of Judah, and he was telling them that, that God was going to punish them for their sins. And because of their sin, the Babylonians were going to be coming in, they were going to take them into exile. And chapter 8 of Isaiah talks about distress, hunger, darkness, and gloom. Not my favorite chapter in the Bible. Distress, hunger, darkness, and gloom. But then in chapter 9, Isaiah turns a corner. He says that, yes, Judah will be humbled, and yet in the future, God will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, Galilee's up in the north. Think about towns like Nazareth, Cana, all the towns around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus preached. See, Galilee's where Jesus came from. 700 years after Isaiah wrote this prophecy, God honored Galilee by sending his son there. And in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Man, there is something profound about seeing light, especially when you're standing in the dark. 
I was hunting at my brother's two or three weeks ago, and we had not been seeing anything in our usual spots. And so we decided to branch out a little bit, and he put me on the back of the four-wheeler, and he took me to an area where I don't usually go and, and dropped me off there, and he told me how easy it would be for me to find my way back. <clears throat> There's two things you need to know. One is that my brother lives on 100 acres in the middle of nowhere in Henry County. His gravel driveway is over a mile long. And the other thing you need to know is that there is a gap in my genetic makeup. God just did not give me that sense of direction gene. I mean, we get off the highway to get gas. Gil has to tell me which way to get back on so I can get going in the right direction again. And so here I am at my brother's house out in the middle of nowhere, and I sit for a couple hours, you know, kind of watching for, for deer, but there's an opening in the trees down at the bottom of the hill, and I know that's the driveway, so I'm not worried at all as it's getting dark, because I'll just go down to the driveway, and I'll be able to walk up. That won't be a problem at all. So it's getting too dark to shoot, and I get down to where the driveway's supposed to be, and it's a creek bed. That, that's what I was seeing, not the driveway. So then I turn around and go back the way I came. By then, nothing looks familiar at all, and so I'm kind of wandering around in the dark. Now, I don't want you to be worried so I want you to know I did find my way out, okay? I'm not still lost in the woods. I just felt like you needed to know that so you wouldn't be concerned. And it really wasn't that big of a deal because if I walked any direction long enough, I would have hit a road, and I did have a cell phone. This is not the kind of survival story they make movies about, okay? I just wanted you to know that when you're in the dark and you're kind of confused and you're not sure where you are, man, all of a sudden I came up over this little rise, and there was the lights to their house. And it just feels so good, you know, to know, oh, that's where I'm going. That warm glow, you know, is kind of drawing me in. When you're standing in the dark and you're not quite sure where you are, then light becomes that key focus for you. It, it's a source of hope. It, it's a source of safety. There's assurance there in knowing you're going in the right direction. Isaiah talked about distress, hunger, darkness, and gloom. All things that we're kind of pushing through right now. Your distress might be the pandemic. You know, it might be the protests. It might be a problem with your job. It, it might be some loss that you've had in your life this year. Your hunger might be for food. But, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and they're hungry for companionship. They're hungry for conversation. They're hungry for a hug. You know, I mean, things are just different. Darkness and gloom, well, that pretty well sums up a whole lot of 2020 for a lot of people. And i got to be honest with you, I'm not sure that when we turn the calendar to 2021 that it's really going to change much of anything. I mean, fact is, we're not seeing a whole lot of sweeping global answers that are coming on January 1st, at least not when it comes to things that dominate the news. But friends, listen to me. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Back in chapter 7, Isaiah said that a virgin would conceive and a child would be born who would be Emmanuel, God with us, God walking among us. Isaiah says there's a baby coming. Then he says this great light is coming. And then he declares the land will be blessed. God will increase their joy. There will be a bountiful harvest, abundance for all. Oppressors, will, well, there'll be history. And then he says, even the soldiers are going to burn their hobnailed boots and their bloody uniforms. Why? Because God's light has come into the world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And it makes you wonder, why does God 
tell Isaiah to use light to represent Jesus? Well, you think about the significance of light. What does light imply? Well, I think for one thing, it suggests clarity. You see better when the lights are on. Gail and I like to hang out with our next-door neighbors. Uh, they've got a, a big porch with a TV outside, you know, and so we socially distance. And we like to hang out on the porch with them. Even now that it's gotten cold, we bundle up and we go over and sit under electric blankets. We watched a movie at 30 degrees the other day. You know, we just, it's just kind of a fun thing to do. And, and last fall, because we like to walk back and forth so much, we cut a path between our woods that right now is just little trees, but they're coming, uh, over here, and their hayfield over here, we cut a path so that we could walk back and forth. And the other night, I was coming back, I, I'd just been over there for something by myself, and I'm coming back in the pitch dark, but I kind of know the landmarks, and so I didn't have any lights on, and all of a sudden, this animal ran right across the path in front of me. It was smaller than a deer, but it was larger than a bread box. You know, I don't know what it was, but it was right in front of me. And so I kind of fished in my pocket for my flashlight because, or, you know, my phone to be a flashlight because I really didn't want to step on a groundhog or a, you know, possum or a skunk, you know. So I kind of wanted to see what I was dealing with here. I turned it on, and, and it wasn't there anymore, which is what I was hoping for. But, but there was clarity that came with the light. The light of Jesus brings clarity into our lives. You're making a, a big decision. Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's a relationship decision. It might be a, a moral or ethical choice of some sort. And you look at Jesus' life, you look at his teachings, we read his word, and it helps us sort out what we need to do. We are better deciders when we are walking in the light of Christ. You might be struggling with how you see yourself. I mean, some people... It's a pride thing, but I think for a lot of people, it's what I hear people saying, is that people kind of struggle with a, a crippling shame and regret and guilt, and they start to doubt their own significance, their own worth. How could God love me? And the light of Christ exposes the lies of Satan. The light of Christ helps us see what God says about us. God says that his grace is bigger than your mess. God says that he loves you and wants what's best for you, that you are his pride and joy. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And there's clarity there. But you know, light also represents goodness. When you see like the brilliance of new fallen snow, you think purity. When you sort of drive past the mud and muck of a pigsty, you think filth. Because there are some obvious contrasts in nature that point to good, not so good, good, bad, good versus evil. And we think about light versus darkness. There are spaces that you're walking through in the light and they feel fine, and all of a sudden it's dark and they feel sinister. The Bible says that people do things in the dark that they would never dream of doing in the light. That darkness covers up evil while light exposes it. The Bible says that we're to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Jesus' life radiated goodness. That's why he's the light of the world. And we look at how he lived his life, how he made his choices, how he dealt with people. Man, the way that he defended the weak, he confronted the corrupt. He befriended the down and out. He, he stood for justice and truth. Jesus brought light 
into the darkness by showing us how to live, by modeling goodness for us. And then still further, light represents truth. In my junior year of high school, I ran cross country because I wanted to letter in a sport. I was not any good, but I, I, I tried hard at it, and I ran my guts out, and I think the coach kind of felt sorry for me because I'd been in a wreck uh, not too long before that, and I, I had some back trouble. So it was not a stellar season, but I earned a letter at the end of the season. Now, I only ran cross country that one year because there were other things I wanted to do, things I was better at. <laughs> you like that picture of those socks? I don't have those anymore. I'm really sad about that. But anyway, I lettered all four years in academics. Jealous. <laughs> uh, there were not cheerleaders lining up to date the guys that had academic letters. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, this is not the kind of letter that's very cool that, you, you know, maybe you want to brag about. Although it probably has served me more, those letters, uh, than uh, the cross-country one. But you think about how letters work. You know, letters that you put on a sweater, on a you know, jacket, whatever. If you play basketball or football, do you know what they put on your letter? A basketball or a football, you know. If you run cross country, they put a little pair of shoes on there with wings. Well, do you know what they put on a letter for academics? Oh, you don't know? You didn't get one? Sorry, I'm just kidding. Um, that's all right. That's okay. You're going to work for us someday. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. They put a lamp on there because a lamp represents knowledge. Light represents truth. Things are dark and murky and hard to distinguish when there's no light. But you turn the light on, and all of a sudden there's room to learn and to grow and to discover. We talk about shedding light on something because that helps us to understand it better. It brings clarity. It brings truth. Jesus is the light. And if that's true... And if he told us to walk in the light, and if we're encouraged in Scripture to not hide the light, and if we're told to seek the light and be the light and share the light, what that suggests is that the light of Jesus should be like the highest priority of our lives. I'm reading a book by Craig Grishel right now with some guys here at church who wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper in their faith. And the last chapter that we read this past week was about the importance of sharing our faith. And you think about it, if we really believe what we say we believe about heaven and about hell, about sin and about salvation, about punishment and about grace, man, if we really believe those things, why would we not want to share that with people that we love? It's like we can turn the light on for somebody else. And it might be as involved as talking to somebody about what Christ has done in your life, and there's a time and a place for that for sure. But it might be as simple as inviting somebody to church. It might be as simple as sending somebody a link to a service that really spoke to you. It might be posting a Christian song on your Facebook page or offering to pray for somebody who's going through a hard time. Jesus' light brings truth. It points people to the truth. And why wouldn't we want to hold up that light and shine it? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. I mean, are, are you getting what I'm saying? If you don't have Jesus, it's like you're in the dark. There's a shadow that kind of hangs over your head. There's this dread of death, this fear of the unknown of what's to come. But then Jesus turns on the light. Now, there are still unknowns, 
But the things that really matter start to become clear. They start to make sense. Listen to what Isaiah says next. After the distress, hunger, darkness, and gloom, he says in verse 2, a light is dawning. There's comfort and hope coming. But then he doesn't tell us what the light is yet. He said the child's coming. Then he says the light is coming. Then he says in verse 6, to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think it's fascinating that he says, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. It would be 700 years before God was going to keep this promise, and yet Isaiah writes it in the present tense. He is born. He is given. And he says it's to us. He doesn't say to you all way down the line later on, or because he was in the southern part of Israel. He doesn't say to y'all down yonder. Okay, he says to us right now. A son is given. And you start to say, wonder why he used the present tense. I wonder why he said it that way when it's going to be 700 years. Because he is a prophet of God. And because God told him what he was going to do. And if God said it, it was true. And he knew it was true. And he could say it as if it were happening right this minute because God was going to keep his promise. No question about it. It's kind of the same certainty we have that Jesus is coming back, even though it's been a long time. He said it. We know it's true. And then Isaiah gives us some identification. He calls him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's a counselor in the sense that he brings wisdom and guidance into our lives, but not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor, full of wonder. In fact, he's the Mighty God. This baby to be born... He's going to be both God and man, divine and human. In fact, he's everlasting father. Now, we're so comfortable with things from the New Testament, the perspective of God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. We don't fully understand the Trinity, but we at least kind of grasp the concept of the Trinity. But that wasn't Isaiah's audience. They didn't have that perspective. There was no concept of that. So he's stressing to them, this child is Father God. There is a oneness here. He is Father. You know, for those of you who have or have had a loving, godly, earthly Father, you've had a glimpse of our perfect Heavenly Father. For those of you who have or have had maybe a very painful glimpse of fatherhood growing up, maybe your father was abusive or just critical or immoral, maybe he was absent, the Lord is the Father you've always longed for. I talked to a friend of mine this week who's a pastor, and his dad was physically, emotionally, and verbally abusive. He said he had no concept of what a loving father was supposed to look like. But then when he was in high school, he became a Christian, and he began to learn through his study and through people who poured into his life what a godly father was supposed to be and what God was to him. And now, in his church, he works with men's ministry, and he's teaching other men how to be godly dads. And he said to me on Friday, he said, Mark, I'm telling you, my daughters will never have to go through what I went through. Because that's not who I am. 
Because God is the God that we've always longed for, whether we had that kind of father or not. And then he's the Prince of Peace. That he brings peace to our hearts, if not to our circumstances, and he promises us perfect peace one day with him forever. Isaiah even says the government will be on his shoulders, which I believe means that, man, his rule is going to be his and his alone. It is on his shoulders. He's the one who ultimately will be in control. The the bounty of his government, the peace of his government is never going to end. Justice, righteousness, all a part of his rule. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, has it ever occurred to you that darkness really isn't a thing? It's kind of like the word nothing isn't really a thing. It might be a noun, but it's not a thing. It's no thing. That's what the word means. Nothing. No thing, right? It's not a thing. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. It's just what there is if there is no light. God didn't exactly create darkness because it was. He created light to overcome the darkness. And so in a symbolic way, kind of a metaphorical way, there are people out there who think, you know what? There's no such thing as light. All there is is darkness. Because their life is dark, they just assume there's darkness everywhere. And there are other people who assume, yeah, there might have once been light, but man, there's so much evil today, there's so much bad today, you know what? The light went out. It's just gone. But listen, just because the light is obscured doesn't mean it's gone. Just because the light is hidden doesn't mean it's not there. I was eating breakfast a few weeks ago, and I kind of glanced out the front window, and then I went outside of the porch to take some pictures, and here's one of the pictures that I got, just because the light was so beautiful coming through those trees. Well, let me ask you something. Let's suppose that on that day, it had been storming outside. Do you know what the sun would have looked like if it had been storming? It would have looked exactly like that. Because the sun was just as hot, just as powerful, just as bright as it ever was. Now, there were some clouds between me and the sun if it was a stormy day. I wouldn't have been able to see it, but the sun would have been exactly the same as it was right there. It happens every night, too. I don't know if you've noticed, but it can be light one minute, and then after a few minutes or maybe after a few hours, all of a sudden the sun's not there anymore. But it's not gone. I was thinking this week, I wonder what it was like for Adam and Eve on their very first day. And they're like, man, this is great. We love the world. This is beautiful. That sun, oh, it feels so good. And all of a sudden, it starts to go down. And they're like, where'd the light go? What happened to the light? Eve, what did you do to the light? And it's like, oh, come on, bring the light back. Because, you know, Adam's a man. He probably whined. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. But it wasn't gone. It came back in a few hours. Just because the light is hidden doesn't mean it's not there. Just because the light is obscured doesn't mean that it's gone. And friends, let's just be honest with each other. The light has been hidden in 2020 in a lot of different realms. The light has been hidden kind of medically and politically, maybe relationally in your life, maybe morally, racially, I think it's been tough, financially. It's been a dark year. I had a pastor friend of mine, a a different guy this week, who sent me a text. He sent it to me and to a a few other guys. And he's been dealing with a friend who's dying. His wife has been suffering with her health. 
He's got pressures at home, just the pressure of church and life. It's just kind of gotten the best of him. And at one point he said, I'm really struggling in my mind and my emotions to the point that I don't even want to send this text because I know you guys love me. I know you're going to want to contact me and check in with me. And I'm in such a lousy place that I really don't want to talk to anybody. Every phone call or text, even the good ones, make me feel more pressure. So, of course, I replied, and I said, don't you dare reply back to me. But, you know, some of you can relate to this. You're in such a dark place that just getting the energy together to tell somebody, I need prayer, I'm having a hard time, you don't even have the energy for that. Or if you did that, you'd feel like it would be creating pressure in your life instead of decreasing it. But my friend had the courage, he had the guts to to ask for prayer, even though he knew that to admit vulnerability makes you vulnerable. Friends, listen to me. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean he stopped working. Just because the light is hidden doesn't mean it's not there. That's the bottom line today. Just because the light is hidden doesn't mean it's not there. John 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He did not say the world would never be dark. He just said, you won't walk in the dark. I've kind of explained it to you before this way. I think when we come to Christ, it's not like God just turns on the floodlights, and it's like the sun's up, and we just see the whole path ahead of us. I think it's like we're in the dark, and Jesus walks up with a flashlight, and he says, here, walk along with me. And there may be darkness all around us, but he's got that enough light to penetrate the darkness that we can find our way with him. The world can be a dark place, but his light is more powerful than the dark world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So so one Christmas tradition is Christmas lights. I mean, we see them in store windows, we see them in church, we see them in people's front yards. There's even that uh, Christmas song that says that the stoplights are red and green. It's like there's Christmas everywhere. But it all began with one light. It all started with the light. Jesus came into the darkness, the light of the world. You know, for, I mean, for as long as I can remember, we've gone to Christmas Eve services, and at the end of the Christmas Eve service, we always sing Silent Night, uh, and we light candles. We did it when I was a kid. We, we've done it every year that I've been a pastor and have been involved with Christmas Eve services, well over 30 of them. And this year, it's going to be a little different. You know, because of the pandemic, because of social distancing, because of concern about touching things other people have touched, we're asking everybody who has a smartphone to download the app Virtual Candle HD. Virtual Candle HD. The reason I specify that is because I looked online at candles, and a lot of those apps, it plays music. And I don't want 12 songs playing during the Christmas Eve service. <laughs> okay. So, um, but we are encouraging everybody to download Virtual Candle HD. And then we're going to, yeah, it might be a little cheesy, but we're going to have some fun with that. And we're going to do that on Christmas Eve. Now, we'll have lots of other candles, and I promise you, we'll sing Silent Night. But man, for years, I misunderstood a line in the song, Silent Night. Now, there are lines in Christmas songs that get a little tricky, hard to understand. When I was a little boy, I never knew what an infant so was. You know, it says, holy infant, so tender and mild, but it sounded like infant so. Holy infant so. What's an infant so? Nobody ever explained that to me. I had a friend who said she always stumbled over round, yon, virgin, because she thought it was round, John, virgin. It's like, who is fat John, and why do we care about his sexual uh, abstinence. You know what I mean? It's just weird. You know, what well, is around John Virgin? Anyway, that's not the line I'm talking about. 
In the last verse of Silent Night, it says, Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God loves pure light. And I just always sang that and assumed it meant that God's Son loves light. I mean, he's just all about light. Yes, sirree, he doesn't like darkness. He loves light, pure light. That's what he loves. But one day, I noticed the apostrophe. Son of God loves pure light. God's Son is the pure light of God's love. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's different. He doesn't just love light. He is the light. He is the light of God's love. God had so much love that light just came out of it, and it was Jesus. And because he is light, he brings clarity, and he brings goodness, and he brings truth, because that's what light does. And the prophet Isaiah told us that 700 years before Christ, and then just a few weeks, maybe a couple months before Jesus was born, another guy said something very similar. His name was Zechariah. He was John the Baptist's dad. And this is what he said about the fact that Jesus was getting ready to be born. He said in Luke 1, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Is there darkness in the world this Christmas? You bet there is. But there is light as well. Even if the light is hidden, just because you can't see it right now doesn't mean it's not there. And that's the good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. That while we were in the darkness, in mercy you came running, that you brought your son delivered him into the womb of Mary. And he was born and he grew up and he lived his perfect life and he died his sacrificial death and he conquered death to prove his promises were true. And he is the light that shines in the darkness today. And sometimes we feel the light and see the light and it just radiates all around us and sometimes it feels like we're standing in the middle of darkness and can't see a thing. But just because the light is obscured, doesn't mean it's not there. Just because sometimes we feel distant and we feel isolated and alone, it doesn't mean that the light has gone out. God, remind us of your light. Help us to sense your light. Help us to see through your light clarity and truth and goodness. And may your light reflect through us that we might be the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.